everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Trail Culture. I'm your host, M. Robertson, and I'm so stoked you're tuning in. Today, we have runner, researcher, and the founder of Steady Shakeout joining us all the way from the UK, Simon Duval. Simon is currently working towards his PhD, so he's soon to be a doctor. He brings years of experience as a lecturer and a researcher to the table. We talk about trail running performance prediction, how to move towards trail-specific testing, the importance of trustworthy scientific sources, and more. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Trail Culture. The man, the myth, the legend, Simon Duval, is back on SA Soils to collect his data for his PhD. So uh, we had to jump at the opportunity to, to get him here. Um, an experienced lecturer, researcher, supervisor, Simon's knowledge covers everything from wearable tech, trail running performance, field hockey, Olympic lifting, strength and conditioning, pretty much anything you can think of, the list... The list goes on and on. Um, on top of all of this, Simon is actually an avid runner himself, and it's not just good uh, trail running performance that he can yeah, do. He boasts a lot of good road times as well, and is also the founder of Steady Shakeout. So very stoked to have a well-rounded individual and sports scientist on the podcast today. So thanks for joining us, Simon. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for that lovely intro. <laughs> it's very kind of you. It's weird to hear it all written out like that. So... Um, but yeah, it's good to be here. Okay, so Simon, trying to yes. decide what to talk to you about was actually <laughs> a mammoth task in itself. But I think we've we've kind of nailed it down and we're going to do a bit of deep dive into research. I think that cool. is, yeah, kind of the, the focus of today, specifically trail running and your research. But before we get there... Um, Tell us about your journey to find trail running. As I just mentioned, there's a lot of things. I know you dabbled in hockey. We won't talk about too much of your time on the road. Um, yes. There's kind of a lot that Let's you've been... Let's not talk about that. <laughs> there's a lot that you've been um, involved in. So how did you find yourself trail running? Mm. Good good question. Um, I'll try to give you the brief summarized version. Um, I, I've always... I think I've always enjoyed running... Um, or at least sports that involve running. Um, so, for example, I'm terrible in a swimming pool. Um, <laughs> but uh, as you said, like my main sports through school and stuff were more like your team sports, your typical traditional sports, field hockey, cricket, those kinds of things. Um, I did run when I was very young, um, cool. primary school, and I was uh, I was half decent, and um, I went to like provincial trials when I was 13 and um, I remember like finishing fifth or eighth or something like I, I didn't you had to finish in the top two to be like to make it yes. and then I thought well I finished eighth so I must be rubbish at this and um, <laughs> I literally like gave up running I was like no that's you know let's focus on the, on the hockey and stuff yes. and I kind of regret that a little bit uh, still but um, I literally didn't run until uh, my now wife, Jana, um, started picking up running. Um, she was just my girlfriend at the time. And um, she and her brother uh, entered in for a multi-day stage race. Um, and it was a trail race. And um, I said, well, you know, you need someone to, to run with you. You know, it's not safe. And, you know, yes. what, what's going to happen to you and, and whatever. And, and I once now infamously said, uh, to Jana that um, I, I will never run unless I'm chasing a ball and I think that <laughs> I was literally going to say something along yeah, those lines the, of like if it's not a hockey ball you're yes, not interested literally yeah. and I think that's going to probably appear on my gravestone one day like <laughs> here lies Simon he once said he would never run unless he was chasing a ball kind of thing um, so she never lets me live that down but I, I literally started running because um, she started running nice. and um, I suppose the, the bug bit and um, yeah, I, I like you said, kind of mixture of road and trail. I think growing up in Cape Town, you it's like two oceans marathon, and then uh, you also start thinking comrades. You know, at the later stage, my dad used to run when he was young, and I was like, oh, I want to beat my dad's times. You know, he was a really good runner. Um, he almost ran a, a sub four two oceans. Oh um, wow! So Incredible. he was like, he was good. It's impressive, yeah. Um, and. Uh, you know, so the road element was always a thing of like, you know, I want to be able to to be fast and that kind of thing. But I think I really just fell in love with being 
in the mountains and in nature. Um, when I was younger, we did a lot of hiking. Uh, the Cedarburg, for example. My yeah. mom loved the Cedarburg. My grandfather loved the Cedarburg. And I can still remember um, we, went, we were camping once, and um, Beaverlac, I think, is the place. And I remember uh, my brother's birthday and young kids, and we were all like running down the mountain to get back to Beaverlac, the campsite. And I can still distinctly hear my mom shouting, Simon, don't run down the mountain, like, you know, <laughs> screaming at me. And um, yeah, so it, it, quite ironic, I suppose, that I, yeah. I love it so much. And yeah, it's, it's a big part of my life now. And yeah. is that, do you feel like you developed your uphill trail running because your mom is like, don't run down. So you're like, I'm going to yeah. just send it on the yeah, way we'll up. Get it, we'll get into the research uh, <laughs> just now. But, um, you know, the, the downhills are, are obviously... Uh, a bit sketchy for someone my height um so i learned to you know i, I think my center of, of gravity is is quite high and i'm i'm not great on the technical downhill so i kind of learned to love the uphills because you're like you yes. have to be good at something right so yeah. i was like i better focus on you know trying to be good um in that area um so yeah i, I just i love all parts of it really yeah um, as long as i'm you know avoiding the tar as much as possible um then i mean we literally moved house so that i didn't have to run on on the road um, no, it's yeah. like no let's uh so yeah just just really enjoy yeah. any form of not running on the road okay no that's so cool and i mean you born and raised kind of cape town somerset we're still in wash local for yeah. a really long time until moving over to to the uk which i feel you and siana have found every single piece of vert that is close to your yes, house. Yes, the, the <laughs> tallest mountain in our uh, in our vicinity, I think, is 260 meters tall. It's not, not bad. It's not a mountain, but yeah. it's uh, it's something. So, um, you know, we kind of live adjacent to that hill now. And, um, you know, so all of the little the little fells or whatever they call them there, those are, that, that's the home now. Lots of forest running and um, lots of kind of farmlands, pasture, that kind of thing, which is great in its own way. Yeah. Um, but, but very different to like when I ran with Sean Ray, uh, in Yonkersuk on Saturday and I yes. was like five hours and I was just shattered at the end. I was like, I, I completely oh. forgot. I completely <laughs> underestimated like how technical the trails are here. Yes. And I was just like, I was so broken, but yeah. I was like, I told you to pack your climbing legs. So I'm like, oh man, yes. uh, but I, that's so interesting. There's actually a couple of people who have been not on the podcast yet, but have friends who've lived here and then traveled and come back mountain bikers and trail runners who have just been like i know i lived here for a long time Mm. but i forgot how technical the trails are so yeah that's that's interesting and at least you can work on some you don't have to uh or train the kind of in a way that if you do decide to come back and do a runnable trail or a road race yeah i think yeah it is it's like uh your your training, if I can call it, like we're using training, like I'm super serious about my training. I'm really not, but like it, it evolves and adapts, you know. So yeah. I don't get those those technical things anymore. And I know that that's a, like a, a tool in my armory, let's say, that I'm missing. So I think if, if there are any kind of technical trail races that I enter in um, or enter for, that I need to find a way to to train for that, you know. So um, we can get into Wales. It's not far, you know, just uh, southern Wales is like kind of an hour, hour and 15 drive to yeah. like some mountains. And nice. I could go and, and train there. But for a guy who's working, you know, nine to five and balancing all the life things, you yeah. know, that's not the the technical trails aren't high on the priority list in any case. So Yeah, yeah. not at this stage, but no. I have no doubt that you and Jana are going to do... A lap of quite a few mountains, including the the UTMB that created a whole lot of hype over the oh, weekend. I'm sure. Yana is dying to go, yes. and it's France, and it's like ah. Oh, so yeah. I'm sure it's on the not too distant uh, bucket list. Yes. I, I see that. Uh, and I'm going to be on Daddy some, Day. KGC. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. racing, some crewing, some. There yeah. was like a kids race start that happened in the UTMB. There's like pictures of kind of the front runners in amongst all these kids, and I'm like, your guys' kids can yes. get involved. I see that. Uh, it's going to be cool. But um, so, yeah, I mean, time and asking, I'm going to get to asking you about what what is next in terms of, mm. of training for you. But um, in my mind, you're like the original in terms of trail running research uh, in South Africa, whether that's true or not. It's definitely not true. Yeah. So so for the <laughs> listeners out there, um, I, I think I'm one of few that are kind of doing research in the area. But a definite OG, I'll shout out to him if he ever listens to this, is a guy by the name of Carl Full Yun. 
um, who actually uh, served as an examiner on one of my master's students' theses recently. Oh, wow. um, and he does a lot of work in, um, in injury and in trail running. Um, yes. And also, like, how do we mitigate risk in, like, these seriously remote um, events, like, from a health and safety perspective, what checks are the doctors doing, those kinds of things. So, so Cardo's like, he's up there, you know, yes. kind of thing. Like, I look at, I look at him <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that guy's cool. Um, nice. But I appreciate that. I mean, I try, yeah. you know, I try to I keep up. I think in terms of like trail or for me coming in uh, the context of, I didn't even know trail running was a thing until I yes. moved to this town. Don't hate me for that, everybody. Um, and then Look at getting, you now, trail oh. culture, you know. <laughs> Who would have anyway. yeah. I think all my, my school friends will be like, you hated running at school. Yes. So anyway, um, but the trial or like the research world that's kind of where i mm. met you got to know you as a lecturer and then seeing what you were interested in and getting into running it was like a happy coincidence how mm. those things lined up but in terms of your your research and specifically looking at these ultra trail athletes mm. so i think there's a very popular kind of kind of focus on the shorter trail distances right. and even like your cross-country running your track etc cetera, etc cetera, where and then, yeah, I know based on kind of just reading some of your articles, actually defining what trail running is, is even an interesting adventure yes. to, to, or rabbit oh, hole to go down. scientific literature. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. You've got to define everything. Sky yeah. running, fall oh, running, trail running. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All the things, but, um, you like the whole thing that we want to kind of pick your brain about is your, your PhD mm. research, what you're currently busy with and mostly because you've got this like ultra trail focus. And, and if you say the words, training load you know monitoring yes. or things like that at the moment everybody jumps and yes. so i mean your title is development of an evidence-based submaximal trail running test to predict ultra trail running performance yeah uh, quite sure a mouthful know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. sounds great um and yeah i just want you to chat to us about the project mm. i mean the journey why this topic and kind of what contribution do you think it'll make i know yeah. that's a big kind of overview yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll break it down but yeah kind of walk us through I think it's, um, you know, like you said, trail running is just a very like broad, you know, with people from the outside will look at it and say, oh, it's just running in mountains kind of thing. But when you, when you go down like a scientific path, you can, you can start to look at everything in minute detail and you realize that there's so much that you could research, you know, yes. that's the first thing and, and how you're going to approach that and how you're going to tackle that. And, um, as you rightly said, I've been interested in, in trail running, for a long time now, um, probably about close to 10 years um, that I've you know, really enjoyed running in the mountains. And um, I was very hesitant when I started lecturing after my master's. My master's was in soccer, strength and conditioning or football for your international uh, <laughs> audience, uh, strength and conditioning. And you know, I thought I wanted to go that route. And I was very close to starting a PhD in that area, like small-sided conditioning games and stuff. And when I started lecturing, I was like, do I, you know, do I maybe need to give this a little bit more time before I really invest, you know, three to five years in a, in a project, yeah. um, like towards the end of my master's, I wasn't sure if that's, you know, I, I didn't have a great experience and I didn't want to get into that same, yeah, kind of, you know, those same pitfalls. So I, I took a few years to really flesh it out and, and think about what I wanted to know. And part of that was working with students, uh, like you were, uh, once upon a time and maybe we'll be again in the not too distant future <laughs> let's see um but you know working with with honest students on trail running projects so we would do like we would look at kind of the accuracy of your your garmin watch for example or yes. more involved studies would be looking at uh the biomechanics of trail running you know your studies and uh Olof and matt and, and those kinds of people where we get them in the lab and we, we measuring joint angles and forces and, you know, yeah. uh, EMG, like muscle activity and all of this fancy stuff. And like, I was kind of really looking at that and thinking, right, well, I'm learning a lot here about the biomechanics and, and gait and stuff, but it's also that kind of field is a, is a minefield to, to research as you probably yeah. found out, you know, you, you generate so much data with all of those technologies that sample at like crazy uh, uh, frequency. So you just get hundreds of thousands and millions of, of lines of, of data. And then yet you only really know, you know, 
what the body, body looks like when it when it moves. Yes, um, you're describing you what you're seeing. You're describing what you're seeing. With and crazy accuracy. <laughs> yeah, and I just kind of thought to myself with my PhD, I was like, okay, um, you know, do I want to go the biomechanics route? Um, maybe not. That's maybe not for me. So it's also like a process of elimination. You know, you, you know what you don't want to do. Yes. And that kind of starts to guide you where you do want to go. One of the sparks um, that ignited my passion for this PhD was, and I, you probably know the article because I always reference it, is Joss van Rentegem and colleagues who did an article, I think it was published back in 2017 or 2018, on a novel uh, method or framework for training load monitoring. Yes. So instead of looking at external and internal loads, looking at biomechanical and physiological loads yes. and saying, right, well, you know, I looked at that and I was like, this is great. Like, you know, there's a reason why most runners suffer from like these overuse chronic type injuries. You know, they don't get, they don't get um, like burnout or overtraining syndrome. Like that's, those are luxury injuries. Like your, yes. your top runners who are just doing so much running, like they'll get those kinds yes, of. It's like of, a career focused yeah, training. Yeah. Now. And like, you know, chronic immune suppression because they're just pushing themselves so much. But your average runner, the mill runner, is getting your your ITB, your shin splints, your yes. you know maybe a, a, as bad as a stress fracture or something like that. So that got me thinking about the body and how it works. And I was like, oh, you know, am I going to go into training load monitoring? And then I started to you know happen upon a few other research papers that looked at kind of performance prediction, let's say, or what are the different performance parameters for for trail running. So some of the early work. Um, I can say in this field, definitely early work for me is uh, Sabine Erstrom and Volker Scheer. That then, yes. like 2017, 2018, I was reading papers that they were publishing on like the importance of um, knowing what a runner's uphill capacity is or their uphill performance capacity is, rather than just their level performance. Because yeah. again, if you look at that like specificity, you know, and the, the, these are things that. The principle of specificity is like developed in my mind reading that Joss van Rentegem article. Now I'm reading this and I'm thinking, right, well, trail running is, is its own beast. It's not road running. Yeah. So we can't be looking at how well people are running on level surfaces and then expecting that we're going to know how good a trail runner they are. You know, yes. that's a very small piece of the puzzle for a trail runner. So it's something that developed over a long period of time and, um, I, I did a systematic review, um, which was published in 2021, um, together with my, my promoter and uh, old supervisor of mine, a mentor of mine, and um, another colleague at the time. And that systematic review looked at, at that time, so, you know, at circa 2020, what is out there? What knowledge do we have in terms of physiological yeah. parameters or uh, markers? that predict trail running performance. And there was literally less than a handful of articles out there in 2020. Is, yeah, when you say 2020, I'm like, it's 2023. Yeah, you know, it's not, when, we're not and, that long after that, right? And I'm like thinking of just the hype of literally this past weekend, UTV. Yes. It feels like the whole world's eyes were on trail running. Yes, trail running. Or maybe we were um, just in an echo chamber. But yeah, yes. who knows? <laughs> um, but, and like looking at what the athletes are posting, kind of, you've got the kind of, more critical eye of what is research saying and then seeing what's yeah. actually happening and then these epic like coaches researchers um supporters who are trying to still we're in the early we're days we're like very much like together information like i saw an amazing I, I can't remember the twitter handle now but i saw a really cool piece on on um this guy who kind of used a, a big data model to predict who would win uh, UTMB this year, and he predicted, yes. and the model predicted that Jim Ormsey would would win it, you oh, know, wow. even though he hadn't won it, you know, in the previous four occasions. And using big data and analyzing all of his race and training yes. data over the last year, literally found how he'd kind of addressed some of his weaknesses, uh, particularly running in like the steeper gradients, yes. so like your 20, 25 percent plus. That's where like Killian Journey, for example, had a huge. Uh, uh, let's say a, a huge kind of improvement compared to, to Jim. Like he was way streets ahead of Jim yes. in, in the, in the more mild gradients, Jim is actually really good. Like a Western States, you know, he's yes. obviously super competitive, but he really struggled in that area. So just by looking at how Jim's race data had improved over the last few years since yes. he'd been living in, in Europe, yes. um, they saw that that curve was now 
close to, if not Shifting on Killian's right curve, yeah. yeah, in terms of his power endurance and his speed endurance, and then saying, right, well, based on that, he's addressed the flaws in his in his game, yes. and now he's going to win UTMB, and like oh, this is like you know, you, what what difference is my PhD going to make in in um, the, the grand scheme of things, I don't really know. Um, I think the field is growing so quickly. They are now, like in, in that systematic review I published, there were like seven articles. You know, that, that's yeah. it. That's, that's all that was out there. Yeah. There were loads on road runners, of course, yes. hundreds, thousands. But there were seven on trail runners. And now when sure. I look at the, the way the field is exploding, yes. it's matching that popularity. It's matching the, you know, the interest in, in trail running. So I hope I'll make a difference. I hope that through my PhD people who who test runners in labs will be using this protocol that I've yes, developed um, yes. or at least a version of it where we're testing runners on on various different uphill gradients to see how efficient are they in moderate mild and steep or extreme uh, gradients yeah. you know that that would be great um, and hopefully that can add value to to runners and exercise physiologists and, and coaches but we're still a long way from that so we need, we'll see, we need yeah. to get finish the the journey but I I see that uh regardless of how how the rest of the data collection goes like it making a difference because i think something that or a conversation that's popped up a lot is i've heard a lot of people say you know how are the times just getting faster and faster and mm. if you look at even like say the road you know marathon time and, and kipchoge's whole sub sub two yes. thing like that people are like it's impossible it's this and that and and that's like a whole different kettle of fish but the the trail times, I'm like, I. it's not a case necessarily for me of like, oh, you know, the, the runners are just so much better. I think mm. I think UTMB had a cool thing where they showed the, tw the last 20 years of, and you see the development of gear, even like people running with like chains or like yeah. homemade lugs on their shoes. And, and that that's an element yeah. of it, like having It's becoming a proper kids. professionalized sport now, yeah, right? So, but, I mean, that's, that's But the main thing is like people are, as they're learning, your training is becoming more specific. So yeah. you're going from this like super general kind of guessing game, seeing what mm. works. And like, as you said, the pace at which the sport is growing and things, I think there's still a lot to be learned, but we're in this really cool phase of like, people are getting it right. And I yeah. think that's, there's no, I want to say secret sauce in terms of like running is running. There's yeah. a lot of really hard monotonous types of work and yeah. miles that have to go in. But in terms of running specific testing protocols laying the baseline making yeah. those things more specific it's massively i mean if you, if you think about you know how trail running preparation coaching the science the testing behind it how is that developed it came from road running yes you know and and it was like okay well these people also run so let's just adopt what what we've done there and you know reproduce it here and um that's clearly not the the optimal way to to prepare for for competition so as we know more we can be more effective more efficient in training um you know there will be another kid in journey there'll be another jim wormsey or courtney darwater or tony yeah. mccann you know recently one in uh occ the i think OCC, yeah. you know so so there'll be plenty more of these athletes to come yeah. and there'll be I, I hate to say it but i'm sure there'll be you know cleaning up the the course uh, records and things like that um for as they go so come, we, we yeah. still we're very much in maybe not in infancy phase in the sport anymore um because there's certain there's definitely a level of professionalism to it which is great um but i think you're going to see continued growth in the sport for a number of years to come yeah and i even just what we've seen like you can look at the last year three years five years even when, I don't know, looking at the first time I watched UTC T100K, and yeah. I, I, it felt like, I think back then, I was only like four years ago, there was only about 40 participants uh, yeah. in the 100K, not yeah. because for lack of wanting to, but the people who actually towed the line, it was, yeah. these are the people in, you know, the immediate vicinity who can actually <laughs> yeah. do this versus now the race is sold out. Yeah. But Stu and the team also used to have that damn 17 hour cutoff so yes, you know yes, which it was uh, a strict it yeah. was the cream of the crop <laughs> yeah um but yeah. yes no you're 100 percent right yeah yeah no it's cool i where the sport's going is is really exciting mm. for me um and i want to get into the also even more of a deep dive of your most recent article which i yes. know you might feel like is not that right. recent coming out of 20 published in 2021 yeah uh, but um if looking at kind of what we've discussed, where where do you think the gaps are in trail running research, Simon? Like bro broadly, specifically, oh. go for it. Uh, 
Um, Where would you like to see some movement? Yeah, yeah. it's a tough one. Um, there's so much. I mean, we, we talked uh, over coffee yesterday about, you know, the lack of information on women and females, so, you know, yeah. women in sport in general. That's not a trail running thing. That's a publication. That's a, you know, it's a result of, uh, it's a systemic issue sort of how our society is. You know, women are not as well studied, measured as men are. They're not as represented in, in the literature. Yeah. Um, and that's that's true in, in trail running as well. I'm guilty of perpetuating that in my PhD. Um, you know, I've got I've got only men can be in my PhD. Like yeah. that's not that doesn't feel very good when I you know when I hear that back and you look at the systemic issues, you're like, okay, well, am I going to be able to find twenty five women who are going to meet that criteria, yes, yes. or no. And maybe you, maybe you can make the argument you could do that, Simon. Um, but maybe I'd be less likely there's a smaller po uh, pool to draw from. Yes. But then why is there a smaller pool? Okay, it's, yes. it's barrier to entry. It's, uh, you know, what people consider to be feminine or masculine. You know, going. You, we talked about being in Tanzania and, you know, women, are they allowed to run? Do they run? You know, yes. those kinds of things. Yes. So there's, there's so many barriers. So I hope that we'll see... Uh, more women represented in the research. Yeah, that's maybe not answering your question. Um, I think where I'm seeing an explosion in research, as with most parts of society at the moment, is uh, machine learning, modeling, big data AI, sets, like yeah. a, you know, potentially using AI. Um, you know, developing algorithms to to predict certain things or measure. Like that's a huge area, um, and the problem with that and it's related to like the wearable technology space and again like the wearable tech i think is another area that we'll see continue to boom is um the data that's being derived is that valid in the first place is that accurate in the first yes. place it's all good you can have this very robust model but you know when we, when people think oh my gps and they're like oh yeah but why does my gps say we, we ran 10.13 k's and your gps says we ran 10.45 k's and mine says we did 840 meters and yours said we did 900 meters of elevation gain and they don't realize that these things are not gospel they don't tell yes. us exactly the truth they they yeah. give us an, an idea an or a best estimate yeah. of um, whether it's like accelerometers give us a best estimate of forces or, or joint forces or angles, you know, they're, they're not giving us necessarily the precise thing. So the concern down the line is, you know, yeah, great, you've got the, these models and, and all of that. And but, you know, how accurate are they in the first yeah, place? Valid um, and reliable baseline data. The principles of validity yeah. and reliability go back to your sports science, yes. you know. Uh, third year classes or whatever they were yeah. second year classes you know those things are still really important and when industry moves so quickly because we live in this consumer market where it's like I need to have the latest you know my Phoenix 3 is no longer very cool so chuck it in the bin and get a Phoenix 7 yes. sapphire gold titanium whatever yes. um, that that market moves so quickly yeah that we don't we, we're not able to hold those items up to scrutiny um, yes. And that, that presents a, a challenge, a problem. So I think there's been great developments. I'm seeing like power meters being used now, like Stride. Again, a Stride power meter can't actually give you power because it's not like a bike where you've got like a, you know, you've a got crank. torque acting yes. through a crank, you know, where you can directly measure the amount of power um, that's going into that. Running, running power meters are estimates, again, based on your weight, based on the incline based on the speed that you move. Yeah. And if there's subtle changes in incline, well, that might not give you a super accurate reading. Yes. Um, you know, so accelerometry, love it. I, I use it in my own research. I'm not bashing it, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But we need to be careful about who we trust the information that we consume, yeah. because I think that's going to be something that we, we see, and if not in literature, if not in science, it'll be there. The information will be out there somehow, yeah. And wanting to see more kind of real world testing like i i know yes. the lab it's like has a place i'm yes. not hanging on the lab it's oh, the controlled yeah. environment is yeah. always a good thing but i think that the dreams of you know as this tech develops getting people right. who are passionate about 100%. the tech and the sport and it's like yeah. this is designed you're gonna go actually do what we need you to do in the mountains on yeah. this you know strava's talking training picks is talking the coaches are in it the researchers yeah. are there and you've got this epic protocol and you send yeah. hundreds so, of thousands so, of rand worth so, so of not very long ago <laughs> yeah not very long ago you if you wanted to get like 
vertical ground reaction forces, which we know are really important as a you know measure of of efficiency, mechanical efficiency. It could they do have some you know association with injury as well. If you wanted to measure those, you needed to be in a lab. Yes. And then you know if you wanted to measure oxygen dynamics, which is what I'm doing in, in my PhD, um, you know, so just breathing, oxygen in, carbon dioxide out, you wanted yeah. to measure that, you needed to be in a lab. But all of that stuff is now portable. Yes. So that you can literally put a laptop on your back with a Bluetooth receiver, take a cardiopulmonary exercise test, yes. pop it on your face, and put some insoles that measure ground reaction forces in your shoes, <laughs> yes. and go out into the mountain and you know, get some real data. And, and I think when you talk about specificity, that's really important for trail running because trail running is very different to, to road running. So treadmills, not 100% not accurately, but they pretty nicely, let's say, represent the demand the, of overground running, running yeah. on, on tartan or uh, pavement or whatever but not of trail running um, because there's no instability, there's no obstacles, there's nothing like that. So um, there's a you know, recent research that's been published in this area suggests that um, the technicity of the trail, the technicity, so how technical the trail is that you're running on has a, a, a significant impact on oxygen cost, whether you're running uphill or downhill. If it's technical, there's going to be additional oxygen cost. Yes. So in, uh, in other words, that, that means it's harder um, because of all the co-stabilizing that takes place, the, the changes in gates. Yes, exactly. So Yes, and also the fact that you don't run in a straight line. You've got like kind yes. of horizontal forces acting. So, you know, um, we only th that was only there was a really nice paper that was published this year on the effect of technicity on oxygen cost or oxygen demand yeah. in, in uh, trail running and road running. So like that kind of thing is so cool to see. Yes. Um, and we can do that kind of research now, but I think you'll see those like kind of hybrid lab to field situations before yes. you see just like massive things out in the field, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that hybrid, I'm so excited about the steps moving towards that and um, kind of loading up people with the gear really hoping they don't fall because it's always expensive yeah. the equipment but um yeah seeing that is is exciting and i'm we're going to talk more about the kind of different variables road and trail running now but um your your article simon like just to take mm. like drill down even even deeper um in terms of con your continued research is so the one I'm referring to is uh, your physiological indicators of trail running performance, a systematic review, which yeah. I know you referred to earlier. Um, and just wanting to now look at like what is the classic endurance model, yeah. like just to kind of start at the base and then yeah. looking at, you've, we've mentioned trail running, we learned a lot of things from road running, that's where it comes from, but yeah. then kind of the defining the differences and the kind of comparative studies that make it yeah. difficult to say you can't take this information and just extrapolate to trail yeah. running and, and why and i think yeah just i'll try to pick out some highlights from from my systematic review yeah again because this stuff is behind a paywall and you know the general public can't access it it frustrates me to no end um and yes, i hope i i couldn't even access it i was yeah. like a tiny bit offended i just I hope that, that some archives you know i i, I hope that that's going to change in 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 the academia um did I say the academia? That sounds very uh, posh. I, I think that's how it is uh, <laughs> yeah. called. But anyway, um, so the classic endurance model is uh, a model that you can use to predict uh, running performance, endurance running performance. Uh, typically, these measures are derived from laboratory tests, and that typically means it's on a treadmill, and it means historically that's been on a level gradient, flat surface. Yeah. So the metrics that are used are VO2 max, maximal aerobic capacity, um, the velocity that you're running at maximal aerobic capacity, that's uh, how much oxygen your body can utilize to generate energy at a maximal capacity or maximal rate. There is a limit. We all have a limit. Yes. Um, some people's your, are higher than others. Your safe, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, so VO2 max is one, um, and then you've got running economy, which is also expressed often as oxygen cost or oxygen demand, but it's at sub-maximal levels. So how efficient are you at various like, kind of percentages of your VO2 max? So that would be your economy. Um, and then the last one would be lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold, which is the point at which 
lactic acid starts to accumulate in the, in the system. It's where uh, you start to fatigue rapidly. All of your energy is derived from carbohydrates. So there's a high output of, of carbon dioxide. And it's that point where you just kind of start to you know, really um, suffer and, and fatigue really quickly. So those three measures um, are typically used to describe uh, how fit or uh, how well someone will perform. And in races of kind of like 10 miles, so 16 Ks to half marathon, this is in my systematic review, um, people have found that, you know, you can predict variation in performance. In other words, if I took 100 people, I could predict where they would fall in the race yeah. with 92 to 95% accuracy with just those markers, just those physiological parameters. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you take all of that and you build a model and you say, right, this is the person who's going to finish first. Yes. Um, now... Uh, I, I think it was Sabine Erstrom um, did some testing on, on trail runners in, in sh what they called short trail races, which was, I think, around 25 kilometers or so. Still a proper trail race, but, you know, short inverted commas. Yeah. And um, they did some testing like that. And then they did some different testing on the runners where they had them run on incline. And they also took some what they called fatigue index was like a, a measure of local muscular strength. So like your ability to produce repetitive force in the muscles, submaximal repetitive force, which yes. we know is important for trail runners, right? Yes. You're going up mountains. Yes. So I've they looked at for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So they built two models and they took the classic endurance model and that could only accurately distinguish. I think it was 58 percent of the variation in performance in that short trail race amongst oh. their group of runners. When Just purely from this is no longer a race. Yeah, here yeah. were the parameters, yeah. and now and now all of a sudden that ninety to ninety five percent is down, down in the low, you know, mid fifties or whatever. Yes. What they did then is they rebuilt the model and they just put in their economy at ten percent instead of their economy at, at a level surface, and the fatigue index, which was that measure of of uh, muscular endurance, local muscular endurance, that model went up to ninety eight percent prediction. Wow. And they kind of said, right, well, and that was one of the catalysts for me was like, why are we testing trail runners on, on level surfaces? You know, and why are we not looking at things like eccentric muscle strength? You know, your ability to tolerate those steep downhills and the, and the effect that that has on the muscle fibers or concentric strength, your ability to move your mass, your center of mass up a really steep mountain. Like these things yeah. are surely important for, for trail running prediction. So that's, that started that, that journey. Um, and, so and I would say, you know, we, we are still finding more out about um, just exactly how unique trail running is because it's yeah. really this beautiful, complicated, and this is just physiology. It's yes. all about ultra running, never mind like sleep, nutrition, hydration, yes. uh, so you know, course them. navigation. Do yeah. I use poles? Do I not? I don't know. Yeah. All of these things. I've never run an ultra trail race in my life. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like sitting here that like super interested in me, this. Simon, I feel but, like you um, have. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like um, I run a few marathons for, for this PhD at this point, but yes. Yeah, I think it's what's so cool is like we've touched on now, like there are these, there are these different elements and even if, we, if you, you can deep dive into pretty much anything so earlier we were just talking about surface mm. one if you scale it all the way back to how do you define trail running the difference between fell running sky running and trail running right. are mostly surface and gradient related mm. altitude altitude yeah. how much what percentage of the course is single track jeep track road all of this mm. and so from a very technical side that's cool right down to like the energy cost of covering a trail where you you have rocks you have obstacles you yeah. have uh, and I, this sounds like really obvious prop maybe to the listener, but it's like as researchers, like there's a lot to be said of you go and do something and then you learn something from it and you pass it yeah. on as opposed to like trying to standardize, like this is yeah. the types of things you can expect to encounter and how to overcome them with, if it's yeah. a training load thing, you know, how much, how much training, when, where, how, yeah. like that. If it's the nutrition side, I mean, there's yeah. the physiology of that as well. There's just, it's like there's it's those. eating the elephant, right? One one chunk yes. at a time or one bite at a time. And and like sports science in a lot of fields, they, they get a bad rap for like um, being very reductionist. So you're taking something as complex as ultra trail running performance and then just looking at some physiological measures. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's really reducing it to like, you know, this, this tiny little thing. Um, but the reality is, if I could, if I could paint an accurate picture for you, looking at all those things, I, I would. But I don't have the capacity to do that. I yes. don't have the knowledge to do that. I don't have the skills to do that. So I'm just trying to 
add one more piece of, of, of knowledge or insight to the, to the puzzle, to the conversation. Mm. Yeah. But that's what's so cool for me is I've, uh, something I've found challenging is kind of graduating fresh out of sports science and you have all this like head and book knowledge, but very mm. little um, experience in the field. Uh, the learning curve was steep, even just starting with coaching and running myself. I'm like making all the mistakes along the way and mm. then telling people not to do that. But it's the one of the big questions I get asked is like, how do you make research more like accessible? So it's like yeah. we spend a lot of time doing all the stuff and then writing it up in a way that anyone can understand it from start. If you know nothing about the sport, you should be able to read this mm. piece of research and, and understand what's, what's going yeah. on. But like, where, where do you think is the happy kind of merging or like overlap point of what's being done in the research yeah. world and, and how it's, how it's implemented? Well, I mean, uh, uh, not trying to be facetious here, but this is, this is probably a way that you can do it. Right. Um, podcasts, having conversations like, yeah. uh, I've got a big personal problem with how information is taken from academia to what I call the markets. The people that actually need to know it are not other academics. It's uh, your average trail runner or coach yes. or, you know, trainer or exercise physiologist. So um, we could probably be better with that. I could be better with that. I'm not very good at like, you know, putting on my Twitter profile what I'm doing or like insights or, yes. or things like that. I'm pretty, pretty terrible at that, actually. So, you know, we could we could probably all improve on that. But I certainly would love to see us moving away from um, peer reviewed articles, uh, which, you know, at oftentimes just feels like it's a pretty gamified system to try and get your work published in the first place. Um, and then, you know, once it's published it sits behind a, a paywall you need to be a member of a certain academic institution or belong to the library pay your money um you know and even then it's not accessible the way that it's written you know it's not going to make an impact so i don't i think what i've seen is that people are moving away from trusting like big corporate uh, entities or bodies for information and knowledge so if you look at like viewership um, of television in America, like your CNN, your CBS, your Fox News, those are all plummeting in terms of viewership. And the, the most watched, I want to call it news outlet, big inverted commas in America is the Joe Rogan podcast with oh, like wow. 16 million streams yes. a month or something like that. Um, it, it far outweighs all of those other things. So I think we in, a, in an age, a digital age, an age of AI where you don't know who you can trust or what information yes. you can trust, there's going to be so much misinformation. There really is so much misinformation on the internet. Um, the best thing that we can do as, as researchers and scientists is make sure that we do credible work that we are trustworthy and yes. then we can try and share that information in different ways um, rather than just the old school, you know, go through the scientific peer review process. I, I, I'm excited to be part of that change, yeah, hopefully. That's cool, the accessibility. Yeah. But not to the point, don't let uh, ChatGPT write your training programs, kids. <laughs> no, please, no. And like, oh my goodness, like ChatGPT is, you know, it sounds all good and, and well, but if you don't know how to use it, um, I've had students come up with like false, uh, you know, completely plagiarized stuff, yes. uh, false uh, references, you know, things like that. And it's like, yeah, understanding really? where things come from. We, we, yeah. we touched on that now, even looking at your own uh, kind of yeah. rot. And I think it's like asking, don't, not losing the, how do we ask kind of critical questions yeah. and, and where does information come from? Mm. It's really, it's important. Um, but one of, one of the cool things, and this is like a excellent in my humble opinion, segue into your uh, legacy of the, at, in the trail community and how to translate lab to um, kind of your everyday runner mm. was Daily Shakeout. I mean, yes. I mentioned earlier that you are the, the founder of that. Uh, I'm personally very thankful that Community Run played a lot of or a massive role in um, my running and even a lot of the friends that I, mm. I've made in the trail community. But I mean, alongside your wife, Jana, you guys actually founded that together in uh, 2019. 2019, yeah. yeah. So that's the Shakeout and then uh, Rooted in Dirt, which is your guys' kind of coaching platform was 2015. Yes. So there was this epic kind of, there's, there's research, there's experience. You guys are both getting into running um, or yeah. have dabbled in road and hockey and all sorts of things. And then, yeah, I don't know. I've got these distinct memories of you. You'd be fresh out of whatever 
topic you're supervising project all out of the lab yourself and you would get to steady shake out and then somebody would just be like so what did you do today and you'd yeah. be like well yeah. and then the, like here ensues this epic uh, yeah. story of what's going on in the sports science yeah. world uh so it's something like that yeah. great platform i'm sure you've had many a, yeah a just I, I joined steady shake out last week and um you know somebody who was clearly new and had never seen me before didn't know who i was which is great i love that and yeah. i just went and introduced myself and i was like oh what's your name you know what do you do kind of thing and then he asked me right what do you do and i said well i'm, I'm actually down here for my phd and he's like oh what's your phd and i was like trail running performance like while we're running on the mountain and he's like wow you really must love trail running and i'm like you have no idea yeah. <laughs> like, it, i love it so much that i almost hate it you know yes. it's like becomes that where your your hobby just becomes you know your work and it's just yeah. it's so biggest much. strength greatest weakness uh, that yeah. whole thing but, yeah but i do love it but it's it's a lot yeah no that yeah but i think that space that's what i love seeing more of and it's it is more than just this happened to me and I guess this could work for you. You know, mm. like I ate a cheeseburger at an aid station in my first ultra and yeah. it worked. Good do it. You know, yeah. it's like, don't do that. Yeah. Just like yeah. go, and, go and really like look for like, again, where does information come from? Um, but I mean, we've mentioned Yana, but like huge shout out to her. What, what a legend. Yeah. Looking runner. after the kids while I'm gallivanting in South Africa. Collecting so shout out data, Yana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I mean, Yana herself has got a lot of epic uh, trail running experience. Mm -hmm. um, I know she kind of specializes more on the nutrition side of stuff, which is mm -hmm. also cool and, and needed. And she'll be on as a guest, little does she know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon. But um, I mean, you guys moved over to to the UK um, last year. I know there's been like a bit of coaching that mm. you guys also do, which is so great. That translation of like research to coaching. And yeah. I mean, Yana's, I know you joked, you don't, you haven't run any ultras and Yana's obviously got epic sky run yeah. under her belt. Puffer. She's the ultra runner for sure. Yeah, 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 she's done. There's somebody who can really put in the work uh, mm. that and I really admire that quality, but um, yeah, where, where's Rooted in Dirt at now? Yeah. You're coaching, yeah. Yeah, so it started way back when. It's definitely Yana's baby, Rooted in Dirt. Um, started as a blog and just talking about kind of uh, veganism and plant-based living and then also trail running, being in the mountains, sharing those experiences. Um, and it kind of transitioned into um, a blog about kind of the science of, of running and performance. So I was putting some information out there at one point. Um, and then that kind of transitioned into coaching. That was like the obvious progression, I suppose, where, you know, people, again, we'd meet people and they'd say, oh, I really wish I had someone who knew about this stuff to coach. And we'd be like, okay, well, maybe that's something we should do, you know. And um, so we, we, we definitely go through ebbs and flows in terms of how much time we give to it. So I kind of came on board when we started the coaching journey and and the, you know the more sciencey side let's say um and at times we we have you know a number of clients maybe 10 20 uh, clients that are, are training with us um, and then at other times like at the moment with the transition into the uk and trying to find our feet there and yeah. you know not drown in uh, all the admin and you know uh, not having a support network and all that stuff you, you kind of, you don't put your energy into it. So we don't like market or say like we're looking for, for clients. So, you know, yeah. we just kind of, as great. people come to the end of their journey with us, like maybe they're entered for an event or whatever, we kind of let them go. We say, right, well, if you ever, you know, want to contact us again, feel free. And we, we kind of in a, a lull, we still have a few clients um, that, we, that we coach um, and that keeps our Sunday nights uh, busy. Um, but there's only so much time in a week that you can give towards something. So it's definitely something that will continue uh, yeah. the Rooted in Dirt brand. And I hope that, you know, I can get into the education space one day and help uh, upskill and and educate coaches, runners, uh, trainers. You know, that would be my kind of dream, um, obviously, together with Yana. Um, yeah, but epic. Such a need yeah. like for that. We've been discussing that, but just that... Yeah, how to take what you're good at and share that yes. through the scientific and experience lens. It's really I'm a big advocate for also, you know, you don't have to be the best or excellent at everything. Yeah. So don't, don't pretend to be something you're not. And yeah. like, I, I know which parts I'm, I'm good at and where I have knowledge. And then I can also say to, a, to an athlete of mine, listen, that's not really, uh, you know, in my area, but I can find out for you. We can yeah. go and I can consult with X, Y, and Z. So, it's you know, great mark of a good coach. If you don't know 
yeah. I'll go find out. I think Aaron Funnison, who's a couple of yes. episodes ago, he really uh, nailed that down, saying, you know, he's he's a really like book smart kind of kind of guy. He I've never met someone who reads so much about mm. trail running, uh, and that was his whole thing. Like, I don't know, but go find out. I'll go find out. And that honesty, I think, keeps mm. everything just yeah good open. It's a whole other podcast episode we can get into, <laughs> but. Um, with kind of yeah, you, what you guys were busy with and, and moving over, you you started this well, city shakeout. Right. I kind of segueing back to the trail culture thing. You mm. had this group, which, if I'm not mistaken, Yana was wanting to run kind of in the afternoons, kind of in and around Stellenbosch, and there was this whole thing of there's a need for mm. safe, for kind of the whole yeah. safety and numbers. And did you think that how city shakeout started, it would grow to? I remember four faithful runners, and now I think on a Sunday's yeah. day, there's 150 plus. That one winter night where I was, uh, we, we were in that, whatever that nature reserve is in Cirrus, <laughs> and it was like snowing down, and I left you the, the keys to the fortress, and I said, Emily, steady shakeout, must go on. It has never missed a Thursday. <laughs> it has never missed a, uh, you know, a, a run, and then it was like the worst weather ever. And I think there were like two of you. It might've been like you and Peter and Dan like, maybe. Yeah, and somewhere. Jared. And Jared. <laughs> oh, the old faithful. You know, so good good people, love those people. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, it's certainly become a, a beast. It's really, I mean, I've been there the, the last few weeks while I've been down and it's, you know, just continued to grow. Um, when I started it, the the main vision or aim was just to have an active, thriving trail community in Stellenbosch um, and, and a, you know, a community that could enjoy the mountains safely. Um, yeah. th that was something I used to come, you know, so I started working in Stellenbosch in 2017 um, after doing all of my studies here. Um, and I would run up regularly. Back then I was like, you know, really fit. Not, not, not there anymore, but I used to regularly run up to the Twitter Kreis, the Mast before work. Yeah. And I'd, I'd just marvel at like how few people there are on the trails. Yeah. And then you hear the stories of, you know, someone was accosted or someone was this and that. And, you know, I, I was obviously teaching students and young women who, yeah. you know, they're just fearful to go out on the trails. So, you know, the whole idea was let's make it safe, let's make it enjoyable. Um, let's make it social. Um, so approached uh, Bruce Collins at the time at uh, uh, Steady's Brewery, Brewery yes. and you know, big shout out to him. He's just been—he was just—he is an amazing person. Um, yeah. And he was like fully invested in in my dream, my vision that I had to to start so this thing. Great. And we we definitely adapted and and took a lot of inspiration from uh, guys like Stu McConaughey with Tuesday Trails. Yes. You know, and we were like, we, we want something like that in Stellenbosch. I, because I often have a lot of fingers in a lot of pies, I, I never wanted it to be like this huge thing overnight. Yeah. I was very wary of that. I was very, I almost had anxiety that it would, that it would that grow it would to boom. be this, yeah. this some, you know, something that I couldn't contain or handle. So it was only really when I started letting other people in that it started to grow. Um, yeah. You know, so someone like a Julian Vermeer following Shadow, uh, for those of you who are on Instagram 24 7, you'll probably know him. Nice. You know, he came on board and he said, Listen, do you want help growing this thing? Yeah. Um, do you want to get this thing out there? And I said, Yeah, well, I do. I do and I but don't. I don't want to do, I don't want to be the one yes. leading it. You know, yeah. that, that, for yeah. me, I, I just want it to grow and then I'm happy if it grows. And, yeah. you know, so getting someone like that on board who's kind of tech savvy, social media savvy, you know, knows yeah. how to brand market, that was a, that was a big uh, thing that kind of led to it really exploding. So from that time where we were, I think the first run we might have been about 30 because I did put a few like bucks into the Facebook advertising thing. Back nice. then, Facebook was a thing, you know. Yeah, so yeah. And, um, <laughs> and the first, very first run, I said, no, we're running up to Twitter Kreis. Yes. And I think I scared away like 90% of the people <laughs> who came to that first run. They've never run on the mountain again. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Simon. Uh, yeah, that, you that know, 400, 500 meter climb yeah, over like, two Ks. Yeah. Rain it in, rain it in. These people don't know what, what they're getting themselves into. So, you know. I have to say, I literally think I skipped the first one because of, when you told me where we were going, I was like, I'm yeah. available the next people, week. People didn't want to go up. They also, yeah. when we when we got halfway up, they didn't want to come down. It was too scary. I was like, okay, well, like, this you is can't just live a, forever. We have to. disaster. So, you know, that first year to 18 months, then you had COVID. Um, it was hard. Hard yeah. graft. You had, you know, especially in the winter months, yeah. um, not not big numbers, but you got to be consistent with something. You know, yeah. podcast now as well. Give it time. Keep yeah. keep going, and 
um, you know, things take off eventually. So there's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of role players that steady shake up. I'm not going to name them all by by name. They know who they are. Who've kind yeah. of taken the reins from me and and run with it. And um, them yeah, just so very capable hands. Yeah, well. really, really nice to kind of watch and support from afar. Yeah, that's epic, Simon. I yeah, I mean that whole the trail community, trail culture. It's like. I've got the gist of what it means to you. I think that, yeah, that's where this whole mm. thing comes from. But the it's epic to see the sport growing and just how can each person give back? As you said, there's not, we can't be good at everything, but everybody's got their thing. And if we're all kind of focused on just like raising the standard and the level, I'm, I have a lot of hopes for the sport. Yeah, <laughs> It's getting very exciting. Um, can you believe it's an outro yes. part? We Dang. tried to do 45 minutes and I'm looking at the time and I'm like, <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> Uh, no, there's a lot of, I think I was umming and awing in the beginning, so it will edit me out and it'll be good. But uh, just like a, a light end of question is before we chat about yes. where we can find you, is what is your favorite trail and why? You've mentioned oh. Twitter craze, Cedarburg came in, you've been all over the show. Um, I'll re-ask you this question once you and Yana have run in France. <laughs> yeah, I think I, um, yeah, I have a, a very special place in my heart for um for anything cedarburg related um just invokes like a a strong sense of like my childhood and yeah. it's a big wide open space where there's not much going on you know some of the trails now we, we were there last year and some of the trails are just not in a great state which isn't good to see um but I just I just love being in that space. So I don't necessarily have like a favorite uh, trail in the Cedarburg. Yeah. I think if you just you know flew over the Cedarburg and dropped me out with a parachute <laughs> wherever I landed, I'd be I'd that's be pretty epic. happy. Um, that's definitely it's got a, a special place in in my heart. Um, nice. Yeah, with with family stuff and yeah, it's, that's that's the the dream is always. And I, I really wanted to even being here now like get out to the Cedarburg, but just, yeah. Time. Time, yeah. time is a, Man. yeah, it's really sad, but next time we're down, bring the family with, have a bit of a holiday. Like and we always will we'll go spend time in the Cedarburg, yeah. No, that's awesome. And, and the se second outro, last question is, have you seen any um, either chasing hockey ball potential or trail running potential in either of your boys? <laughs> oh, goodness. Don't, don't get me started on the disaster that was rugby practice last week. Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, so apparently they both, like especially my, my one son, Elijah, just had like a bit of a tantrum on the on the field and you know he eventually that evening said to his oma who's over there at the moment said i don't like rugby so that was you know like try. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to run and people are stopping yeah. me like. was just like check that off the list he is three years old to yeah. be fair um but he doesn't like rugby um secretly simon's like yes <laughs> yeah listen i don't know I, I i enjoy a good bit of rugby but yes yeah. uh Difficult question to answer. They're quite young. They yeah. like um, doing roly polies and jumping around and you know that kind of thing. So gymnastics is potentially on the cards for for now. It's good for their development as well. Um, you know, trying to think what's near us. Um, I would love to get them playing some golf um, cool. just because I can also just get them out the house for a few hours and Yana can have some time to herself. <laughs> yeah. And I used to do that with my dad, you know, and it's good, good bonding time with your kids. That's and then epic. the one thing that we do uh, very regularly is we take them into the forest for walks and Yana wants to start doing like foraging with them and stuff yeah, like that. So awesome. they walk long distances and, you know, I hope that um, they'll enjoy running, but yeah. I, I don't want to put that, pressure on them yeah. you know, i think they they see yana and i running and you know yana doing races and stuff and they, they're aware of it that that it's a thing yeah um but we'll see where where the yeah where the path they, leads for them i have no doubt they'll inherit just a love for an appreciation for the outdoors so that's, yes that's, that's the awesome. most important thing and Simon, where can we find you? I know, I'm you're, a hard as you man said, you're, you're, you're not a Twitter person, you're not an Instagram I'm a, such a hard man to find, <laughs> and I don't have a South African cell phone number anymore. So um, <laughs> the best thing that you can do, um, if you know me and you want to catch up, um, you know you know me on a, on a personal level, uh, deval.simon on, on Instagram. I, I've got nice. a private account. It's very much like a day-to-day -day family life thing for me that I yeah. try and share with those that I, that I know. Um, so you can, if I don't know you and you request me, I'm just going to 
reject you, unfortunately. Because <laughs> um, you're rooted in dirt platform. Yeah, yeah. rooted in dirt maybe um, is, is better. Awesome. Um, you can also get uh, at Deval17 on Twitter. You can probably direct message me there and I'll, I'll respond to you. Um, again, I don't post nearly enough. Um, and then at the moment, a good place to find me is the University of Gloucestershire website. Uh, nice. So sports science, search, you know, sports science, University of Gloucestershire, Simon Duvall, um, you know, and you'll find my, my email address through there and you can contact me on email. I'm, I'm very good with my emails because awesome. <laughs> I, I love, you know, I'm a trail running guy, whatever, but I spend like nine hours a day behind a desk, yeah. like minimum. So email is good. Um, sdeval at gloss.ac.uk awesome. um, or deval.simon at gmail.com you know I monitor those if you if you want to chat yeah you can cool. drop me an email we're going to have all of that in, in the show notes all the handles and I know we referenced a lot of articles as well I'm going to yes. do my best I, a lot of them I know <laughs> right. I know where to find them but um, yeah Simon thanks so much this has been my so pleasure. cool uh, yeah. the, as we spoke of, there was a lot we could have done I'm glad we did the research deep dive for at least your first mm. um, appearance and you'll definitely be back uh, I hope so to talk about a lot, bunch of other things and keen to have Yana on as well thanks, thanks Emily thanks for your appreciate time appreciate it there you have it everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode and and the chat with simon keep an eye on the trail culture social media there are some exciting developments around more science specific episodes simon and i are working on on something cool and we really hope that we can continue to find some links between the research world and the greater trail running community so stay tuned and i will see you back here next week for our next episode